0: number 42 and uh this week on the podcast is the third part of the darkness weaves series which i'm doing with mike hill uh, my good friend mike hill you know member of the band tombs um and uh, main man behind everything went black and necromaniacs and of course uh this is a kind of collaboration uh series with him on uh, everything went black so we have um uh like last, the last episode was on everything went black. This episode's on Soul Knox. Next month's episode will be on everything went black, and so on. And we're currently working our way through the collection in a lonely place, which you can get from Valancourt Books. Um, please go out and buy it. You know, uh, the more copies we can help sell, the better. Uh, we're hoping that maybe that can encourage more republications of his works, which are all currently out of print, except for this volume. So, and yeah, and this story this week is the classic, and one of his most famous and influential stories of all time, Sticks. So yeah, we're going to get into this story Uh but uh, yeah, before we get into that, I'll do my like plugs and stuff and um, whatnot. And uh, also uh, here in um, or the next week, I'm going to be posting a bonus episode, which is actually a Patreon episode, which Mike and I did about um, uh, the novel Dracula, which is for my Dracula series. That's going to be on Patreon and then that will be the final one that I upload to the main feed until maybe closer to the end. I might do another one. But, uh, yep. Yeah. So from after this next episode I did of Mike, uh, you're going to have to go and well, sign up to my Patreon. And my Patreon is $2 a month. It's at, um, patreon.com forward slash soul knocks podcast. And, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, going to try to, I'm trying to get, um, Make time to do more uh bonus ep- content on there, so we got the Dracula series, which is gonna be ongoing for probably the rest of the year um and then um I'm gonna be doing some other stuff on there um a monthly kind of uh update episode which I'm going to uh be recording actually here soon uh for this month and uh and whatever else I'm gonna try to get a bunch of cool content on there for everybody who subscribes. Because I really appreciate people actually uh, signing up and paying money. Uh, it's uh, awesome. You know, it's really, really helpful and really, like, you know, motivates me to make make more cool stuff on Patreon. So, yeah, check that out. $2 a month, and you'll get, uh, yeah, uh, at least two bonus episodes, if not more. Maybe, you know, hopefully eventually, you know, even more. So go sign up. It's growing we're in the process of moving forward so give it a shot and um aside from that yeah, i want to shout out uh horseman of the podcast apocalypse which of course mike is a uh, fellow horseman and it's our little group of podcasts that we support each other and our friends and we got one every other monday you have uh brandon legion with horror wolf 666 his last episode was great he's talking about his top six um uh, Stephen King novels with, uh, I think she was one of the edit, edit, editor at Rumorg. It's a pretty great, uh, episode. I enjoyed it a lot on, uh, Tuesdays. You have the best extreme metal podcast out there, which is into the necrosphere with Jackie Smith. So now look up. It was the episode before last. I was on there for a, uh, for his news segment, that he does so you can check that out. And uh, yeah, uh, Jackie's going to be up back on this podcast in the very near future. Um, on Wednesdays, you have the mentioned, Everything Went Black with Mike Hill, and when she talks to a variety of different people, from bands, and um, artists, and writers, and all kinds of stuff. And uh, Thursdays, you have Necromaniacs with Mike Hill, Mike Scondado, and Jeff Kashid, where they cover new and old horror movies. And uh, Fridays, you have Break the Apocalypse with John Draper, which is Mike Scondado's brother. And um, then the kind of unofficial worst thing I like to shout out is uh, Cheyenne from Trivax with Iblis Manifestations, which, you know, I think anybody listening to this podcast is going to be interested in that one. So, yeah, there's the shout-outs. Follow everybody and myself on social media. You can find me... uh, You can follow me at Denver Underground Radio. You can also look up my name on there. You can find me that way. Uh, I'm a little bit more selective with who I allow to follow me, but, you know, go ahead. Um, Probably more likely to get a hold of me on my my main... My my, uh, account, but... (laughs) Uh, As my uh, Denver Underground Radio one is mostly just spam. But, um... Denver Underground Radio is the radio uh, online radio uh, station that I run with my friend Ken. Uh, we have um, generally uh, shows on Tuesday and Thursday, and the Tuesday show they both of them start at 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and uh, the Tuesday show is Darklands, which is my show, which is pretty much all black metal, um, uh, dark ambient, dark death metal, etc. And our Thursday show is primarily uh, dry, primarily like dark wave, goth, post-punk, industrial. But we occasionally do uh, little trips into other genres, uh, like we're going to be doing one coming up that's going to be all about a 90s grunge. And you can uh, find all the set lists and everything on Denver Underground Radio, Instagram, or our page on Facebook and uh you can find links to all our Spotify playlists as well for the uh, uh, live radio shows. Um, so, yeah, check all that out. Um, an upcoming, my next episode next week is going to be a uh, new series. I'm starting with my one of my best friends, Mike Purdy, who has been on before to talk about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, Exorcist. But we're going to start a new ongoing series of probably more like bi-monthly uh which uh we're gonna do uh it's just gonna be called horror hotel and the horror hotel is gonna named after the great misfit song obviously it's gonna be a uh kind of um uh just what it says on the tin uh, essentially it's gonna be every
1: episode we cover
0: a different horror movie um and uh we're kicking it off with a movie that he picked which is the classic 1990 creature feature tremors so yeah. Uh, it was really, uh, had a lot of fun re- revisiting that movie cause I hadn't seen it in a long time. And, uh, I found that it held up, which you can hear about. And, um, on those episodes, we're also going to be kind of be talking about, uh, stuff going on in the, the horror world or new movies we see stuff like that. So, uh, hope you guys enjoy that series, which will be going on, like I said, pretty much like around every two months. Um so yeah, with that being said, I hope you guys enjoy Darkness Weaves uh Sticks, the classic uh the classic story of a uh kind of uh everlasting necromantic cabal, you could say. So hope you guys enjoy Hail Satan.
1: Bizarre lattice structures were all around. Sticks from trees and bits of board, nailed together in fantastic array. They defied description. No two seemed alike. Some were only one or two straight sticks, lashed together in parallel or at angles. Others were worked into complicated lattices of dozens of sticks and boards. One could have been a child's treehouse. It was built in three planes, but was so abstract and useless that it could be nothing more than an insane conglomeration of sticks and wire. Sometimes the contrivances were stuck in a pile of stones or a wall, maybe thrust into the railroad embankment or nailed to a tree. It should have been ridiculous. It wasn't. Instead, it seemed somehow sinister. These utterly inexplicable, meticulously constructed stick lattices spread through a wilderness where only a tree-grown embankment or a forgotten stone wall gave evidence that man had ever passed through. All right. So we're
0: here uh, covering uh, sticks now.
1: Dude, one of my favorites by Carl Wagner. Yeah, me too.
0: I think, um, I mean obviously you've read a lot more than of, of his stuff than I have, but I think that, uh, uh so yeah, I mean, this is one of my favorites so far that I've read. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This one is actually also his, um, his most, uh, published piece too. And, um, it's been celebrated. It's won a bunch of awards and everything. And, um, I actually have the first appearance of it. I have that. It, it was, it first showed up in, um, the 1970, the March, 1974 edition of whispers magazine, uh, number three. Okay. I have, I have that. I actually have that. So, um, oh, wow. <laughs> a few years ago, I found it online and bought it. And it's just like, uh, that, that version is like a chapbook almost. It's like kind of just, um, like, you know, cheap paper, and like a very, very tabloid kind of vibe to it. And, uh, but the coolest thing is it has, uh, the Lee Brown Coy artwork on the cover. You know, I don't know. Are you familiar with it with his work? Lee, Lee Brown Coy.
0: Not uh on the head. Like maybe if I've seen it, I know it, but I don't. I don't know often with the name. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's the I when I was at Necronomicon last summer, I bought a uh, a collection like a art a book of his artwork, and um because I, I knew that he was associated with uh, Wagner, and um that's what you see. It's like these lattices and all these like kind of like intense like lattice work like pieces so it very much is uh resonant with this uh this particular short story nice
0: yeah if if you can you should send me a picture of it so when i post the well, the, the, uh, the episode next week we can uh include that you know because if he's like kind of it'd be pretty cool to have that in the post you know
1: you know, it's funny. I wish I thought of that like two days ago. As I, as I don't know, I, I might have mentioned that I'm moving, so mo- all of my books are currently packed away right now. Oh shit! Yeah. Well, and, you know what? But however, when I bought the book, I took photos of a bunch of the pages to send to my friend Samantha because she's a, a tattoo artist for some ideas, and um, I might have those photos on my phone still.
0: Okay, cool. If not, I'll. You said it's Whisper's Magazine. I'll try to see if I can look it up and uh, yeah find the cool. cover but the um yeah i think this is definitely one of his more famous stories like um it's one of the ones that that i was aware of first like with wagner like um i would say like this one and river of night streaming were the two that that i was like aware of uh earlier on you know what i mean like and um i think this story also definitely falls into kind of a lovecraftian mythos to a certain degree you know in a way i feel like he's like developing his lovecraftian mythos but it kind of has has relationship to a lot of lovecraftian ideas which is cool
1: i think uh out of the stories that we've covered so far this one probably is the most uh you know uh, uh, intentionally weird story this is definitely a weird tale out of the first three that we've covered so far i think
0: yeah it's definitely th- probably the one that's most in the line with uh the old weird weird tales uh authors and everything i think the um yeah i guess uh, get started and we can go from there uh the story basically starts like um pretty just like gets right into it like like our main character is named colin eleverid and he's um he's an artist and he's basically uh got draft he's about to go off to world war Two to fight in the, the uh, european front and um he's doing like he's he's locked up a studio already he's like doing one last kind of like fishing trip basically that's what what sets up and he it literally starts with him he's like going down by this river and he finds all these uh like you said like lattices like like it's kind of hard. like at first like when i first read about the 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 sticks like you do kind of think like maybe it's like the i don't know the the blair witch type of type of thing but the more i read it i was like i don't think so i think it's like lattices with kind of like designs
1: on them right you know yeah. made out of sticks it's um i would the way i visualized them was uh not much like Blair Witch style things or even in true detective but more about angles and And in a Lovecraftian way, you know, how Lovecraft also talks about impossible angles and all these like geometric shapes and everything. I visualize uh, these lattices to be more in line with that because as we get deeper into the story, we start to realize what the significance of these things are.
0: Yeah, I was almost like realizing that it's basically like you got a a flat kind of two-dimensional lattice and then you have these sticks forming these strange angles as it goes up. And I think that uh, it almost sounded like like they could be like runes, like runic, or you know, like the same type of this type of like angles as like a runic, like uh, um, you know, like bind runes and things like that. We have all these different angles kind of intermixing together, and maybe like, probably not very many like curves. It doesn't sound like.
1: So, yeah, it, it sounds very much a combination of straight lines and angles, and um, and I, I agree that I think it is, I, I visualize it more as like a runic sort of thing, but more, um, more like a, a combination of maybe different symbols. because uh, we learn later on in the story that it's not just a decorative kind of thing, and um, there's some kind of communication that's going on through the lattices, yeah.
0: Um yeah, so our, our main character Colin Colin Levert, he's out walking down, he's trying to do fish some fishing. He has like uh iron I think it's funny because he's got literally got like an iron like um frying pan that he's just got hooked to his belt, you know, like <laughs> to cook some fish, you know.
1: And yeah, it's um that's significant too. Uh but one one of the cool things about the beginning is typical of uh all of Wagner's pieces there's a um he he spends a lot of time describing the settings you know yeah. like you get a really good sense of a uh, man in upstate new york and um the landscape and the terrain and all that and uh he sets up the this kind of somber vibe of a guy who's getting ready to be shipped off to to war and you know the um the thoughts of that maybe he'll when will when will when will he have another opportunity to to work with his art supplies or go fishing? So it sets up this like real somber tone in the beginning. Yeah,
0: and it is is that the part of New York? Like, that, is that further more upstate from where you're from?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's probably more. I I, I don't know exactly where Manbrook is, but it, it just based on that, it sounds more like you know closer to like I'm I'm visualizing it being more like Woodstock or you know Dutchess County, like further up in that area. Right, okay. It's like like maybe
0: uh closer to almost even closer to Canada and stuff So,
1: Or maybe yeah, maybe even that far north too, you yeah. know. Definitely not like where I grew up though. Right, cuz you
0: yeah, you're you're only like an hour out from Manhattan.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean I grew up in like the suburbs basically. Right, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: So the uh so he's yeah, exactly. He's he's very I think that much like in the first story that we covered in the pines you get this real um you got a character who's sound he's very like uh you know ha, um, has like this kind of emotional state that's a little heavy at the time you know what I mean and uh I think I think that it feels like Wagner's very good at writing those types of characters you know
1: yeah it makes me wonder about himself you know um you know he he always just knowing him from his work you know, he seemed like kind of like an intense guy, kind of more on the somber path. I guess you know, like not, <laughs> not like a not like a a glass half full sort of dude. You know, yeah,
0: probably not. Yeah, I mean, any guy who basically drinks himself to death, I don't think is really. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> at like forty eight or whatever. You know. <laughs> um. But yeah so he's, so he's walking through these woods um and he's seeing these lattices with all these crazy angles made out of sticks and he's walking down and um there's like a clearing with this old stone farmhouse and this is where it gets very like very lovecraftian because he's been talking about gambrel grant gambrel roofs and stuff like
1: yeah know, like using but, lovecraft's like language and stuff too you know
0: yeah so this 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 old farmhouse is like an old stone farmhouse uh uh, with all these like stick um arrangements all around it you know like making up you can't the thing that is you can't really tell yeah what is this like the sticks are obviously fresh like there's somebody's been there right like it's like they're not like old it's you know but you have this like house that appears to be somewhat you know abandoned you know like some you know, probably from like the 1700s or something i would imagine right like
1: uh, and also it's um it's noted that this farmhouse is is a uh, deep in the woods too it's not like there's no like pathways to it or roads nearby there's like a uh an old rail what used to be a railroad but there's not any tracks or anything like that it's just kind of like the the vestiges of uh, a, a way to get there, vestiges of like a railroad system. And this is like some ancient part of the woods that's been abandoned for probably over a 100 years, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much the only way that he even found it was following this, this, uh, it's near a creek. So he was just following this like river or creek or whatever down and happened to run into it. Right. So, yeah. But there's no trail going or anything like that. So basically it's found as like, old you know maybe 1700s 1800s stone cottage out in the woods and he sees all these uh um stick things like surrounding it basically uh and he decides uh he's the type of guy and the one thing also forgot to mention is that because he's he's an artist um one of the things he's doing this whole time is he's 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 got like his notepad and he's drawing all the sticks exactly like the angles and everything each one of these stick things he's he sees he's
1: like drawing them on his notepad you know that's that's important as well yeah yeah so he's documenting all this stuff and then when he enters the farmhouse he notices that there's actually fresh sketches on the walls um like drawings of the same lattices on the outside so he's questioning you know it's like is this like the the kind of like command center of the guy who made these things like they they look to be just a few days old the drawings like are they like you know maybe a month old so someone has recently been there kind of uh in this abandoned building for you know to for this purpose you know so that's it kind of sets up this like very weird environment you know like there's an ancient thing and then there's like something more recently someone has visited this ancient place
0: right and is like drawing on the walls with all the the same designs that we see outside actually made into right. the lattice. Yeah. Uh, and then there's also a, um, what do you call it? Uh, um, stairway down. Like, in, And even from looking at it, he can see that this house is obviously built on an older foundation, which he yeah, sees the-
1: even more when he starts going down the stairs, you know? Yeah the basement the footprint of the basement extends beyond the footprint of the house and the architecture down down in the basement appears to be of like some even more ancient, ancient vintage and um, you can also see like darker shadows like in the fringes like in the darkness you know implying that there might be tunnels extending beyond the perimeter of the uh, of the basement too yeah like there's
0: uh ways to get out like tunnels yeah and uh in the middle of the basement he can kind of see this kind of i guess raised like platform um you can't really see it too well like there's like some light coming in but he just sees like this kind of raised platform and he kind of goes towards it um and he realizes that it's like grooved around the edges uh like as if to catch uh catch blood or something you know
1: <laughs> yeah. so it, it looks like this kind of sacrificial like table basically
0: yeah and as he's looking at this um this pallid hand grabs his 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 hand like this,
1: <laughs> basically grabs his, his his uh wrist you know and then we see a lich another one again yeah. yeah this is the second appearance of a lich in this uh short story collection
0: yeah so yeah the this this lich he's like pulling away and the, he pulls this lich up that and he sees it like in the in the light and um luckily for him he had that frying pan that iron frying pan because apparently that's the the lich's weakness is iron apparently yep. so he smashes that in the face and uh and it lets go and he like runs away and uh as he's running and he right he rises that he heard something like moving behind him up the stairs as he was running away so it makes him run even faster you know
1: <laughs> yeah totally You think about that cast iron
0: yeah it's a good thing you had a cast iron pan. it's interesting with the iron element because um i feel like that 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 ties into uh um ancient lore that like the fairies and stuff don't like iron you know yeah. i think that's probably yeah, that,
1: that's kind of like if you if you get into any kind of folklore Iron is like one of the uh, one of the bane's to the fairy folk, you know. So any kind of magical creatures, uh, iron is like their their bane, apparently.
0: Yeah, On, unlike in D anD D where
1: it is it's silver that that hurts l- l- liches, but <laughs> are, they were they uh, were they're also D anD D characters. So if I remember correctly, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, they're undead uh, sorcerers. Um, and silver's silver like maces and stuff are the best thing to use on them, so <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, so he runs away, and uh, then we jump forward to after the war. He um, he returns from the war, he's uh, basically been fighting. Like, I think it says, um, uh, where did it say the A- Apsian Yeah, the app pen oh, yeah. I think it's in it's in Italy. Yeah, yeah, he fought in the Italian front, which was pretty brutal battle. Like, I mean, that that part of the war wasn't even over. Like by the time we went, got, uh, we took up Berlin. You know what I mean? The Russians took Berlin, so it was like that. Battle fighting in the in the Italian front went on like the entirety of the war. You know, like it was pretty brutal. So I'm sure it wasn't very wasn't very much fun. <laughs> oh. No
1: and uh yeah he comes back you know a shell of a man like most people who fight wars return you know like traumatized from all the horrors of war and um yeah and uh, he he falls back into his old career of uh making artwork for for pulp magazines
0: yeah exactly and it it also says that um that a big part of what even mess with him just as much as the war was his experience with that lich, and he keeps like trying to tell himself, "No, it was just like some crazy hermit," and doesn't want to tell anybody because then he'll worry that they will think that he
1: murdered somebody, you know. And so he just like he just kind of like tries to yeah, that, that's a heavy thing to carry around with you, you know, to think that okay, you're in, you went to war, and I'm sure you've taken lives in war, but like to think about coming home after being in war to a, your home and trying to reconcile that you might have murdered somebody, you know, and like how, and keeping that secret and not telling, talking about it and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's weighing on him as well as, his war experiences. And, but yeah, it's, so yeah, he said he gets back to, uh, illustrating for the popes and stuff, which was his, uh, forte before the war. Uh, except for something's changed in, in that he, um, the po- he, his work now is too, grim and ghoulish for even the popes you know he's taken he's he's really like putting all of the horrors that he's experienced into his art and it's becoming too horrible for the pulp magazines. so he starts actually doing stuff for galleries and fine art and stuff instead you know
1: but even in uh in his uh commissions that he gets he had to make a a statuette of a, a martyred saint and even that was returned to him because the patron who commissioned it said that the martyring of the saint is was too realistic and too brutal for him <laughs> yeah see <laughs> so yeah, that, that that's pretty uh
0: you know it tells you a lot about the state he's in um but then the next part of the of the and i guess i guess this final part of the story
1: is um Kicks forward 25 years, right? So we go... There's like three time slips in this thing. There's the before World War II where he gets deployed. Then there's like when he comes home where he's like, uh, you know, getting back into doing his artwork and commissions. And then it jumps into the 70s, I guess. I think the 1970s. Yeah, exactly.
0: And uh, he gets a, um, a letter from Prescott Brandon who's a editor-publisher of a, something called Gothic House, which is a small press that specializes in books of the weird and fantasy genre. And, oh. uh, yeah, Prescott tells him, um, I'm uh, putting together a deluxe three-volume collection of H. Kenneth Allard's horror stories. And he uh, wants to get um, illustrations done for these books. And he can sky's the limit, you know. Colin, he tells Colin you can do whatever you want like the more macabre the more macabre the better you know what I mean so
1: yeah he said he was specifically uh not interested in your your typical werewolves and scantily clad women and stuff like that in this in his uh letter yeah yeah now it's funny that you got Prescott Brandon who is the owner of Gothic House and you have uh, H. Kenneth Allard right so these guys are kind of analogous to actual people and you know it's I th- there's been conjecture about um, Brandon Prescott Brandon. it makes more sense to me that he's actually August Durleth right? yeah. yeah I think so. yeah because like Derleth also had um uh, what was the uh, Arkham house that was his publishing company yeah exactly because it's Gothic house so kind of almost <laughs> like, oh, exactly like that. you know yeah. some people say that it actually might be you know, maybe uh, it was a self-referential thing with um with Wagner because he also had a publishing company called Carcosa Publishing. and uh, but it seems to me like more of the line is more of like a derleth kind of thing because he's more well known as a as kind of like the curator of all the weird fiction stuff, you know from back then.
0: Yeah, and I would say it's more like Durleth as well because obviously he is a, I mean, obviously um, both the main character, Colin uh, Leverett, and also Prescott Brandon were obviously around, you know, in the height of the pulp era, you know what I mean, in the 30s or whatever. Because like, it seems like from judging by the letters that they they seem to know each other and everything or be familiar with each right. other and each other's work, you know what I mean, so...
1: And Wagner was like significantly younger than those guys. I mean, yeah, making exactly. sense to the left. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. That, that's what it strikes me as. And of course, H H um, H uh, Kenneth Allard. Uh, it feels like definitely feels like H U. Lovecraft, right? So, <laughs>
1: yeah, especially since you know the mythos involved in this story, like in his storytelling, is you know it it harkens. They talk about the old ones and all that sort of stuff too. Exactly. Yeah
0: so so yeah so leverett is excited of being doing this i mean you got to think at this point he would be probably in his 50s you know yeah because yeah, he's probably like somewhere in his 20s when he off, went off to war i'd imagine maybe a little bit maybe even 30 so he's probably in his 50s or 60s at this time right so he's probably feeling nostalgic for back in the day and everything else so that even says in here you know so and, uh, and he's also excited to, to do whatever he wants. Like no, no compromise, as scary as possible. And, um, as he's doing all the art and everything for him, um, you know, he went back and re-read all, re-read all of Howard's books and uh, stories. And, and of course it should be, this should also point out that, um, um, it's probably Lovecraft because it says, um perhaps because Allard's tales evoked the same sense of horror, perhaps because Allard's visions of crumbling Yankee farmhouses and their depraved secrets so reminded him of that spring afternoon on Man Brook. So then he uh, just like makes him think about the sticks and then and he starts putting the lattice work and the sticks into the illustrations that he's doing for Allard, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Yankee, Yankee stuff is definitely within the wheelhouse of H.P. Lovecraft, you know, since he's a, guy from providence and a lot of his stuff takes place in new england so yeah
0: well and then you got also you think about the um oh, um what's that what's that one with the guy the old, the old cannibal guy in the in the strange old man or whatever no i don't know Oh yeah the
1: low, the low craft story
0: the lovecraft story with that like cannibal guy in the woods i can't remember what the story is called
1: yeah, it's, I, I can't. Sometimes I, I space on the names of these stories, especially like the more like not like the main ones. You know what I mean? Yeah, because
0: it's not a strange old man. That's the one about the guy in uh, Kingsport, but uh, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, like that one. That one story has has a old, dilapidated stone farmhouse out in the out in New England type of thing as well. So, like, I can definitely feel like that's where he's coming from. Um, so yeah, so Leverett starts putting all the stick structures into all of his drawings. Uh, he sends this stuff to, to Brandon. And, um, and, uh, basically Brandon, uh, writes a letter to, to Leverett asking, um, Hey, where did, where did all these sticks come on to? Like, they're actually very creepy. You know what I mean? Like, uh, what's the deal with these? And so, um, Leverett, um, writes back and tells him the story minus the the leiche, you know. <laughs> minus
1: the murder in there. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> he tells him about the house and the sticks he, that he doesn't.
1: He doesn't get fast to murder in
0: <laughs> the story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh and um basically uh uh Brandon replies that he forwarded the the letter to uh Alexander Stefroy. Stefroy is a uh, scholar uh is interested in all these types of types of types of things like that and so then
1: archaeology archaeology and like ancient civilizations and stuff like that it's kind of his bag
0: yeah particularly like in the northeast and uh he he and this guy stephroy sends a letter to um him talking about the um about the house and what's interesting is he's talking about uh um basically like megalithic constructions dating back to the Bronze Age, which exists in the nor- Northeast. And it says uh are possible use in rituals of black magic in the colonial days. And he um, says that, I mean, in the book, in the story, it's talking about archaeological evidence that shows that 1700 to 2000 BC, there was influx of Bronze Age peoples in the Northeastern Europe. Um, and it's the remains of the same megalithic culture that you see in the Mediterranean, Mycenae, Stonehenge, etc. Um, and uh, yeah, he says rather appears to have been a religious cult whose adherents worshipped a sort of Earth Mother. All this stuff uh, gave sacrifices and interment in megalithic tombs. And then he talks about the um, um, sacrificial tables and. Barrow mounds and stuff in the northeast. Some of these are real things that actually do exist yeah. in the northeast. So, you know, there are yeah. like stone circles like there are in like uh almost it's almost the same as like Asbury and stuff, but in the northeast. But then um it talks about how early colonials uh were being used by colonial sorcerers and alchemists. This is particularly true after witchcraft persecutions drove them into their western wilderness. Explaining why Upstate New York and Western Mass have been, seen the emergence of so many cultist groups in
1: later years, and um, there's an touched- interesting crossover with actual history too in this story. Like, like uh, Wagner weaves together um, historical events, historical people. Like some of the names are act were actually people that existed in real history and local folklore, and then his own fictional narrative is all kind of interwoven in this story
0: right kind of like this story this like the shadrach ireland's brethren of the new light uh yeah. he believed that the world was soon to be destroyed by sinister powers from outside so that they the elect would then attain physical immortality they're having their bodies preserved on tables of stones
1: until the old ones came forth returned them to life <laughs> and that, that that uh Shadrach shadrick ireland guy was a real person and that was what, what you just, just just described was Kind of close to what his actual belief system was, too. With his class. oh, really? I didn't know that was yeah. a real thing. Yeah, yeah. Like he, um I'm going from memory now, but apparently Shattuck Ireland believed that he would be immortal, and that if he if he died, if 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 he died, that he was probably returned back to his body. So when he passed, right, they put his body on a table, and they waited and waited and waited and waited and his body started to smell and decay. And then they realized that he wasn't coming back. <laughs> <laughs> that's a true story, man. That's, that's real.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> yep. The, um, and then he says something else. Like, um, I think you're probably your farmhouse may have figured in similar hidden practices. A mystery hill a farmhouse was built in 1826 that incorporated one dolmen into its foundations. Um, so yeah, so basically that uh, it's kind of pointing out that um, yeah, perhaps so the foundations are ancient and they build a farmhouse on top, and you know maybe there's some type of thing going on underneath, essentially, and um,
1: that this could be like going on for who knows how long, you know. And that that right there is probably one of my favorite things. Actually, is when you have when you have some ancient foundation with like new construction on top and it's like concealing like some secret you know that 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 sort of uh, archetype in, in these types of stories is like one of my favorite things
0: yeah me too i think it's just fascinating in general and i mean a lot of places um particularly out east like if you look at, like manhattan how some there's like literally like parts of the city that are just they just kept building you know like i've seen like i i love watching shows where they like go into the under underworld under city of new york and they're seeing like all this crazy shit that's you know what i mean under there
1: well i have some firsthand experience with that kind of stuff man because uh any anyone out there who follows my instagram you'll notice every now and then i'll like post photographs of pictures shot in these like desolate dark like sub basements and uh because you know i i'm an engineer so what i do a lot is go into the bowels of these old buildings and investigate like the infrastructure, you know what I mean? And uh, so like, I can see things that are like, you know, major parts of Manhattan. Um, like Morgan station is like this two block long postal facility that has like a sub basement and a sub sub basement. And there's like all this, like hundred plus year old construction under there. And it's just like very creepy, you know, (laughs) yeah
0: yeah that's creepy and i mean like um in europe there's places where they you know like they just built on top of the so like your old city's underneath the street level yeah yep and then they just built the city on top so there's literally like houses and stuff like under the streets that they just you know so every once in a while they'll like find my like, ways that all of a sudden like a you know um basement will collapse or something and you'll be like there'll be like this entrance into like this like hidden like world underneath it's so crazy <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, in Europe, that that, you know, Europe is like ancient, you know, history, man. They take it to a whole new level. Like in the states, like we're we're less than three hundred years old, so that's nothing compared to to Europe, you know. Right? Yeah. (laughs) uh, the Malatn Freihof that uh, cemetery in Cologne. Yeah. There's graves in there that are over twice as old as our country. They're like six hundred year old graves in Malatn Cemetery in Cologne. So it's insane. Yeah,
0: it's pretty crazy to think about, like. um but yeah so so later on see so a yeah, so did ask Leverett to see if he could find that house again so Leverett goes to the location and um turns out though that there was some kind of flood or something and now the,
1: the house is gone it doesn't
0: exist no more so
1: hey, Leverett's uh relieved, relieved by that because uh you know any kind of evidence of his uh murder is also been washed away <laughs> yeah you know, the murder that he committed back then you know that or he thinks or he's trying to convince himself that he killed somebody you know
0: yeah exactly the um and then he gets another letter from uh Steproy and that prescott brandon was murdered and it says that uh, the f prescott brandon this was a severe blow to me as i am sure it was to you and all know him um it talks about the mindless brutality of their crime, so they're apparently ransacking the the, the place. And also, that reminds me of something I forgot to say earlier was that there was some type of major or something that had tried to get in contact with Prescott about the sticks and everything. And oh, wanted uh, to get in contact with whoever. It, yeah, Major George yeah. Leonard. Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting because that's just something that gets sprung up, but it doesn't really come in. I mean, we don't really know what the deal is with that guy we never find out but it's like but it's interesting and then right after that, he finds out that brandon gets he was murdered um but the books still come out and um yeah the uh next thing you know the um there's this guy shows up at leverett's uh studio and uh it's funny the way he describes like um this guy's like very, very pale. He's wearing like a turtleneck sweater, like keeping all his body covered. up. was wearing sunglasses, you know, <laughs> like uh, black driving gloves, like everything's covered yep. up. Yeah. And uh, he's like, um, Brandon told me where to find you. And uh, he says, I'm Dana Allard. I'm uh, Allard's uh, was it a uh, uh, half brother. Or no, wait. What? Is, sorry, was it cousin? Yeah, no, yeah, uncle. It's
1: related uncle to, uh, H. Kenneth Allard. Yeah, he
0: says Allard was my
1: uncle. That's what he says. That's what. It was. Yeah, that's where it is. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and um, this guy and this Dana Allard basically um has like uh comes up to him and says, "I have all these um manuscripts that that my uncle left basically, and uh, it's all these um." uh all these writings and everything and and he can he can see you ever can see that it was indeed uh Howard's writing you know because he could, it's all in handwriting so he could recognize the handwriting and everything sure. and um the uh what was it um there were references to elder the interesting yeah so there was uh, an hour describing megalithic structure his doom narrator had encountered in the crypts beneath an ancient churchyard their reference are elder glyphics that resembled his lattice devices uh he talks about these incantations he records here from hours rocky's forbidden Tome, which is probably i'd imagine Necronomicon,
1: right yeah yeah
0: yox youth suit hereath at yox you know and all this stuff like this so <laughs>
1: Now and- the interesting thing here, though, is that um, you know everyone's having a hard time deciphering this uh, this writing, except for Leverett. Leverett is able to to pronu- pronounce some of these words, and he also detects like a certain cadence and rhythm with the with the writing too. So he's starting to um, you are starting to get the feeling that he is the exposure to the to the sticks, the lattice sticks and his drawing and his involvement in it is changing him somewhat. And he's able to like see things differently and become more sort of like drawn into whatever's going on, whatever this thing that's going on that we don't know about just yet.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, um, and Dana Allard says that he's going to publish all these things called dwellers in the earth named after the longest piece and uh, he wants him to do the drawings and do all the the sticks and everything in it, you know. And and yeah, so this is interesting. The next thing we see is he was floating in space, objects drifted past him, stars, he first thought, the objects drifted closer. Sticks, stick lattices of all configurations. Then he was left drifting among them. And he saw they were not sticks, not of wood. The lattice designs were of pale, dead substance like streaks of frozen starlight. They reminded him of glyphs of some unearthly alphabet, complex, enigmatic symbols arranged to spell what? And there was an arrangement, a three-dimensional pattern, a maze of utterly baffling intricacy. And it says, then somehow he was in a tunnel.
1: <laughs> yeah, there, this is like some deep Lovecraft stuff right here, with all these like you know angles and baffling symmetry. You know, it, it just you're 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 in that world now, you know. And much
0: like. um the first story that we covered uh for for um uh, bef- uh before which was dreams in witch house he like basically these um sticks and stuff seem to physically bring him into another place he thinks he's dreaming but uh it seems like he might even be there physically we're not sure
1: you know yeah like astrally projecting you know yeah. it's like into this like nightmare world you know and then the, there's a second vision too that comes up later that you know kind of confirms some of this stuff
0: yeah and this first one he's in this like basically it sounds like a dolman he's like uh it's um it's like a tunnel he's climbing is crawling stone lined burrows and all of a sudden he comes to like an ultra like slab in the center of a big chamber with a spring of water and uh it says its outer edge is encircled by a groove sickeningly stained by the substance that clotted in the stolen bowl beneath this collecting spot so you got this blood covered thing and then he gets to there gets to the front and this creature grabs his hand and leads him to it and then he realizes that it is the same face of the lich that he smashed the head in with like the head still kind kind
1: of smashed in you know <laughs> yeah that's yeah, awesome
0: then <laughs> he wakes up
1: and he has more drawings to do you know <laughs> yeah that's that's like the immediate thing he does he gets back to work which kind of like you know the, the more times you read the story you start realizing that he's like under the spell of this thing sort of like he's like this this whole he's just part of this like world now like it's like this overarching miasma of like negativity and he's drawn into this whole realm of having this dream world coming out of the dream and then getting right back to work like obsessively drawing this stuff and putting it together and all that
0: yeah and um kind of we're, we're getting into the final like uh kind of climax of the story and we get uh he finishes all of the stuff dana Howard's finishing publishing the book and he gets a letter from Stephroy, and Stephroy says, uh, "I've uncovered a, a megalithic site of enormous importance. It's located on the estate of a long, prominent Massachusetts family, um, and he has investigated secretly. And he um, get basically, um, we don't know who it is, but I think we can guess later. But uh, the." Um, Apparently, these people have been like uh Brutus sorcerers and witches and alchemists and stuff since like the 17th century and uh using these underground stone chambers and megalithic artifacts put to foul usage and diabolical practice you know and this guy had snuck in a little bit to see check it out but uh and he came across those stick lattices as well in this place and uh but separate like well I'm going to try to sneak in um and try to like uncover more you know and uh so that that's what he says it sees in the letter
1: right Then, then i guess we can go to the second vision that leverett has after this right so he goes into another psychedelic journey um and this time he's drawn into this uh this this structure and uh you know he he wakes up he he has this what he thinks is a dream right um Where there's like a sacrificial table and the lich hands him this knife a sacrificial knife and then whispers in his ear just giving him direction on what to do right and then Leverett wakes up and he's covered in blood and he has a half devoured human heart in his hands
0: yeah (laughs) and he said he says that there's a white-haired guy on the altar as well yeah
1: yeah yeah the altar yeah
0: and he's like He's like recognition seem to burst over the face of the guy and he wonders if he should own him but yeah then the guy the light tells him what to do and he gives him the knife and next thing you know he wakes up he's got like a half
1: devoured heart
0: yeah. <laughs> in his bed
1: <laughs> as he's cleaning himself off like he hears what i think it's on the news that um that uh, Steph Stephroy was found murdered, but they say that he was like crushed by some falling rock or something like that. Not that he was, you know, sacrificed with a knife and his heart ripped out of his chest.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I think we can, uh, I think we can put two and two together
1: there. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so Leverett shows up at Dana Allard's house, which is an old stone farmhouse. In the middle of the woods, <laughs> which should be uh, thing number one, that should give him pause. You know what I mean? But he doesn't really sure. think about it, and he goes and he's telling Howard like, "Oh, these the we got to destroy them. Like, there's some cult. They, um, they're glyphs. They killed everybody. Like, you know, we need to destroy the books. We can't release them, and all this stuff like that. You know. But then Dana's like, "No, come in the basement. Let me show you the books." you know i need to i need to give you one and he get he like takes one of the books and he signs it and hands the book to to Leverett and Leverett looks at it and realizes that the whoever realizes two things almost simultaneously one is that the signature on it is 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 h um whatever writer uh
1: H. Kenneth uh, Allard.
0: H. Kenneth Allard, and also like the makeup that's covering the guy's like light bone skin is coming off, so he realizes that, oh shit, this is actually Allard.
1: You know what I mean, like the writer. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah. The, oh, just... the whole like story, the whole like reveal is like really interesting.
0: Yeah, and he 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 tells them to answer your question. They are Elder Griffix. And then he signs it for Colin Leverett without whom this work would not see completion. <laughs> and yeah, as you're saying, like he explains to him
1: what, uh, what, it, what it all means. He can do that. Yeah. It's like um, the whole thing is this, like this kind of um, it's like a language virus, I guess is a way of putting it. Uh, you know, the, the author was in on this whole conspiracy. That's the thing. There was like an overarching conspiracy to to open up a portal to allow these like elder beat creatures these elder ones old old ones to come in in through and and have the dead you know rule over the living basically um and it's uh he talks about this structure that is large this large interconnected lattice that by everyone reading the books and taking in the visual of these images, it kind of connects everything together and it opens up this, you know, it 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 creates a situation where the old ones will will be able to come through.
0: Yeah. And um, the guy that, I guess the guy who's had, he smashed in his name is also also, I guess, has been formulating this, this working for like four millennia or something like that. And coming up, he came and he, yeah, and he's the one who came up with all the sig- sigils and stuff. So he was like in the beginning where he's drawing all the symbols and stuff. Like that was him working it out, you know what I mean? And creating it. And he's been trying to like open it. But yeah, like they realize that all these thousands of minds like, reading these and seeing all these sticks and everything and reading the incantations kind of hidden in the stories and stuff will help uh, open it up. And he says, uh, The great old ones will come forth from the earth and we the dead. That steadfastly served them shall be masters
1: of the living. <laughs> yeah. Great story, man. And yeah. and um it's funny, like, have you ever seen Pontypool, that movie Pontypool, the Canadian film?
0: No, but that's the one with like the language virus turns people into zombies or something, right?
1: It's, it's no one talks about that movie really. But I thought I think that movie's great. And also it's um it it's to me, when I first saw that film, like it came out like I don't know, like ten, fifteen years ago, maybe i was like man this is like such like a lovecraftian story you know because everyone's like oh it's a zombie movie you know but it's not though it's like more about like a language virus and like this like kind of i don't know it's it's it, it, it when i saw it it reminded me a lot of some of the ideas in, in sticks even though it's not like this obvious connection you know right it's more like a linguistic type of a virus moving from people to
0: person person instead of like um I guess in sticks it's more like that these symbols in the book plus maybe like the words and that the hours written create this like openness receptivity in the person, right? And then yeah. enough people all share this receptivity, it'll open up this gateway, I
1: guess is what the concept is, right? So when I first saw that movie it was back when there was um like a video store held in Greenpoint. I used to go to this video store called um Photoplay. And I got to be really good friends with the owner and he just really knowledgeable guy. And and you know, I was always renting horror films and I saw Ponty Pool come out. And I think I might even have read about it in Rue Morgue or something. And uh people are like, Oh yeah, yeah, it's a zombie movie. But I when I saw the film, I was like, Man, this is like a lot like like this kind of like weird Lovecraftian film, um reminding me a little bit of this story, you know. Not so much in the specifics, but the idea that there was like this mind virus that had to do more with language as opposed to symbols. You know, I, I just thought it was like an interesting connection. You know,
0: yeah, definitely. Well, um, you know, an, uh, another writer who talked a lot about language viruses was uh, Burroughs. You know, William yeah. Burroughs. Yeah. Like that was a big, big thing in his work is the idea that language can create virus, like these kind of mental viruses and stuff like that can spread, like change people and encode them which to a certain extent is somewhat true like language um can like uh i mean if you look at nlp and all kind of stuff where you can like encode like your brain with like language and stuff like that it can it has a lot, it has an effect you know on mind control and stuff like that that's what that's why like language is always like the first thing people try to you know totalitarian states always try to go after language and freedom of speech and stuff first so that, because they want to control the way people think, you know?
1: Yeah, or redefine words, you know, redefine, give new definitions to, to you know, change, change how people think about certain stuff. You know, when they throw out these terms. It's like, well, the classic definition means this, but now our new definition means this. I'm going to use this word to describe this condition, enforce it on everyone. You know, that's like another, that's like a big thing with totalitarians.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then you change. Then you consistently keep changing the meaning, so people don't know what means anything anymore. So you reduce meaning, so that they can like basically like don't say anything, because they're worried about they don't want to say the wrong things and whatever. You know, this is like always like the kind of game that those states make. But it, yeah, definitely relates to the idea of language viruses. I think you know it's like language as virus, or you know something like this, where you know maybe enough brains walk onto something like portal can open to the
1: great old ones, you know, you don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this, this was like one of my, probably one of my, one of my main stories in, in, uh, Wagner's, uh, horror writing. Yeah. You know, that this one is like, you know, people claim that it, you know, they, this is the thing, man. It's like, everyone references this and they talk about, Oh yeah. You know, uh, Blair witch project, you know? And, and, uh, I guess like, I guess so. I mean, there's a, a, a dilapidated cabin in the woods you know and there's like these lattice things but i don't really visualize them as the same types of things that you see in in blair witch project you know
0: no, no i don't think so i mean yeah like superficially if you're not really reading the story closely i could see that making a connection like i don't know maybe the first time i read it like, i didn't quite I kind of maybe like made that jump where you're like but then you read it more and you're like no that's not what it is. like you read it more closely and you're like no this is, he's not talking about where which type of sticks you know and it's not that's not the deal you know like it's not like little ha- people you know what i mean like it's like something else it's like these like angles of sticks and they're all supposed to actually like go together and create these like bigger symbols you know So.
1: What I found more interesting, though, is that people will talk about, oh, yeah, True Detective, you know, inspired by the story, too. Um, I think the title is what throws people off because it's called Sticks, you know, and literally in both cases of Blair Witch Project and True Detective, there's these things made out of sticks. So there you go. But however, in True Detective, I felt like the character of um, Errol, the guy who was like the murderer, like he had like a a, a more of a larger purpose that he thought he was serving which connects it more to this story than any did Blair Witch does you know I think that in his own conspiratorial mind he was trying to connect with something you know hence he was talking about Carcosa and and uh you know ascending and having acolytes and things like that you know and that that's I find this to be more influential on on like the writing for like the first season of True Detective than Blair Witch really
0: yeah I I mean and also like I mean I've never heard anybody involved with Blair Witch mention the story so yeah unless unless, unless somebody from that from that comes out and says oh yeah we read that story you know like I mean there's no actual proof that it was an influence on them at all you know what I mean
1: (laughs) Yeah. I gotta be honest I I wasn't I'm not really a fan of that movie I don't know like people go crazy about that and it wasn't didn't really do anything for me
0: yeah I mean i get like okay i mean i don't watch it very often like uh, or nothing like um i can't say it's my favorite movie in the world you know what i mean i kind of yeah. like the concept is is interesting like i actually kind of like the um the fake documentary they made a better
1: oh yeah case.
0: yeah you know yeah. what i mean like i kind of prefer watching that than the, than the actual movie you know <laughs> no, totally about the blair witch yeah I love this story though it's like I think it's definitely uh up there for some of the
1: better best uh, best Wagner stories so yeah man this is uh moving right along through this book man this collection and I'm just like really excited that it's back in print because um over the year you know i I had to <laughs> spend a lot of money actually finding finding some of like the other collections you know um like I you know where summer ends like I have that that hardcover of that you know I spent a lot of money on that. You know I just kind of saved up to buy that I had ferreted out Whispers number 3 which is the original appearance of this book, this story with the with the koi uh cover on it and uh yeah so it's cool that this stuff is back out in print and hope to, hope to see like them continue uh publishing this material you know
0: hopefully yeah and i mean court is a pretty cool publisher I, I mean they publish a lot they publish a lot of these i mean um I know that they have like a thing of that papers backs from hell book yeah. where they're publishing like old books that was in that as well. Like, which is pretty cool. I like bring back like old eighties, seventies, like horror paperbacks. And um yeah, I'm glad they put this. And I'm also happy to see people that listen to the podcast, buying the book too. <laughs> yeah,
1: totally dude. That's I've seen. Yep. Yep. I just, just today I saw something on Instagram cam. He, um, he he has a copy of this book and he has a Towns Van Zant record. <laughs> yeah, i Yeah, yeah. I'm like great. Someone's paying attention, man. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, and i I think uh, I think there's a couple other people who have posted there, told me that they bought it because of us doing the episode. So, I mean, I that's, hope
1: people are enjoying it. You know, I hope people are really digging it. That's the thing, and they're telling their friends about it.
0: Yeah, me too. You know, I mean, that's that's a part of why we're doing is to to tribute Wagner and hope that people will buy the book and maybe we can see more of his stuff in print and everything
1: there's material of his that i haven't even read like there's um like he has a bunch of weird westerns too which i didn't even know about and i don't even know where they appear you know
0: i don't know either yeah and i i know that when it comes to the horror fiction there's one other main story collection that came out after this one i think right yeah which i hope that they reprint that one next that'd be cool and then yeah
1: it's it's uh also this movie i think would be and it's it's unfortunate that wagner is not on other people's radars but this would be an incredible movie i think yeah i think it would be a cool one
0: i it would be um you could you you could make it into i mean i think that if you you could read that first part like really creepy and like the in in part i mean some of it might be like just some drawing stuff or whatever but i think you could make it into a pretty cool like pretty cool movie or an hour like a tv part of a tv show or something you know
1: there's definitely enough here, especially with all the time slippages, like the you know, like how things take place in different timelines. Like, there's definitely enough content to, to to turn this into a feature ninety minute film. But in the age that we live in, you know, to make a four part miniseries or something out of this story, but I think is also within the realm of possibility. Yeah, you definitely have to expand on it some, but to yeah, but I mean, people have no problem doing that, man. As long as they they stick close to. Like I would hate for them to do something like, um, you know, where they just take the name and the basic idea and just like write up all this other stuff, like some romantic interest or some bullshit like that. You know, they do that to make things more spicy or whatever. You know.
0: Yeah, definitely. Particularly because, like, I mean, the the core concept of the story is like pretty. Um, I mean, it is a little niche in a sense that it's talking about like pulp magazines and like you oh, yeah. know what I mean, all this stuff, yeah. but. <laughs> you know there's I, only
1: there's only men in the story too you know like they they might have to like make one of the characters a woman in today's climate you know yeah yeah you never know maybe
0: one, <laughs> be one the maybe one of the like just can be a woman well
1: i wanted like, one like the, maybe like uh you know um like the scientist the uh, steph 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 roy like that they, they might make him into a female character or something you know
0: yeah and then he can then he can like kill her on the altar and stuff and you know, yeah ripper ripper pl- plows open or whatever exactly yeah <laughs> the spice yeah. that's how you spice it up <laughs> that's how if this was made in the 70s that's how that's what they would have done
1: you know I, 70s, definitely like steph roy would be a woman and she'd be like naked on an altar you know
0: yeah sure <laughs> it'd be like in um devil's Rain or something
1: oh what a great movie man you can't go wrong with Ernest Borgnine and William Shatner in the same film, man. You know.
0: Yeah, and then you got um, what's what's that guy's name? The main, the other brother who
1: ends up. Uh, he's a great actor too. I'm trying to remember. I forgot his name though. Yeah. But, uh, so just I know I know as as like kind of like cheap, but the melting faces like it's like such like they lean heavily into that and it looks great. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, like it's not. It, it's not like the most uh sophisticated special effect but it just looks fucking cool you know what i mean
0: yeah it's effective yeah i mean that movie's great and you got like the cool like uh satanic um church that that Anton LaVey helped design and you got you got Is anton that- Le- anton LaVey in the movie he's, he's wearing like the gold gold cap thing like um yeah and then uh yeah, I just think it's cool, and I like how it's like this weird, like Western ta- like Western thing, but then there's like a, you know, colonial like church, like satanic devil church in this. Place. It's so weird, but I love it.
1: <laughs> Have you ever seen that movie Borderland? It's um, I think that's the title of it. It's British found found film found footage film, where there's like a Christian church, but underneath the the church is built on top of like some, you know, ancient relic and there's like this lovecraftian monster there and everything.
0: I haven't seen that but I heard that's a good one cuz i mean, you know, evolution of horror like they always have um yes. the producer of that and the guy
1: who did dan martin did like the effects for it and everything like they're always on it. pretty sure that i uh, i saw the film. I saw I sought out I sought out the film as a result of why of listening to that podcast actually. Yeah. I need
0: to check it out. Like I've heard, I've heard good things about that. And that what you just said made me want to watch it even more that there's like a Lovecraftian monster in it. Like you got me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and the intersection of like Christianity, like old school in Britain, you know, cause like, you know, Christianity, when the Romans brought, you know, the Christian religion, Catholicism to um, England, you know, they already had all their other beliefs. Like they always, these ancient, um, you know, folk religions, and whenever you cross those two in a British setting I always find that just like really compelling you know
0: yeah and particularly because most most of those old churches out there were built on ancient pagan sites kind of yeah. like what they're talking about in the story where it's like you got these ancient sites and um things being built on top of it and the you know still the remains are still there of these leading to these secrets you know <laughs> oh totally yeah but, uh, yeah
1: we're moving through this, man. this is um see man, this is like a you know our third story in this collection,
0: yeah, we got um one, two three, six more, yep, next one it's the fourth seal, so, so that this one will be on everything uh, on
1: black, yep, that's a good one too I actually there is there isn't a bad story in this collection, you know, they're all good, yeah, I'm definitely yeah
0: uh, i mean i haven't um i mean i don't know if wagner actually
1: did any bad stories so <laughs> dude even i think i pretty much read almost i would say almost all the Kane stories and you know and and all those are great too none of, none of them are bad you know the thing that
0: I, I was gonna say that's interesting about the story we're talking about kind of earlier is i do find it fascinating that there are these like stone circles and stone sites that in the northeast that are identical with the ones in Europe, because if you because like in Europe, like you have the stone circles, like the Dolmen culture or whatever, the megalithic culture, like and they can track its movement. Like it starts like in Turkey in this area, and then you have it moves across through the Mediterranean, and you have them, you know, across like um, the Balkans and to Greece and Italy, and then Spain. Like you have sites that are almost exactly the same as ones in like England, like Stonehenge, or even some in North Africa. So it's obviously you had a culture that was spreading across, and then you have more of these sites in the Northeast. It's very, it's very interesting. So, I mean, I don't know. I've always felt like that could be, could be possible that there were Europeans coming across the same way the Vikings did, but a lot earlier, we don't know, you know, it's like, possible yeah
1: that, you know? absolutely man like that that stuff is always pretty fascinating to me as well like the how how these things traveled across the you know across the planet you
0: know yeah there's one of those one of those mysteries like why are the same type of um wider pyramids in mexico and egypt you know what i mean like you just have these like these
1: like mysteries so i don't think we'll ever really know you know
0: <laughs> like
1: yeah i mean you know there's also the ideas of maybe like there is an advanced civilization that had the capability of you know trans global transport you know what i mean that you know like if we, if our if our civilization disappeared everything's made out of plastic and there'd be no trace of us existing except for the things that made out of concrete and steel you know and even those things would fall apart eventually too you know and like over the course of a thousand years there'd be no trace of anyone being here
0: you know yeah that's true yeah you know, I mean, that's the thing, like, we're talking if this type of civilization was around, I mean, this would be what, fucking, like, 10,000 years ago or something, you know what I mean? it's like, yeah. well, yeah. a long
1: time ago, you know? <laughs> in, in in like, our reckoning, but in the, in the reckoning of the planet, 10,000 years is, like, nothing, really, you know? That's yeah. a trippy thing when you start thinking about time and the disappearance and emergence of civilizations, and like you know, the f- floods and like the Epic of Gilgamesh and like all this stuff. It's like you know, time. Like who knows? Like thirty thousand years ago, what was happening on this planet? You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In a lot ways, we don't know. And, and I think it's fascinating too. When you think of Egypt, for example, was around for the same culture, a consistent culture for you know four thousand years, five thousand years, something like that. You know, like yeah, yeah. that the essentials of it barely changed, you know, <laughs> like, it's like, we've only been around, we, you know, like think about how much things have changed in our culture in the past thousand years, you know, like Egypt maintained this like kind of almost static culture for 4,000 years, you know, like that's for, that's a long time, dude.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, totally. You know, it's funny to think about that. You know, even China too, same thing. It's like, you know, having Egypt around is like like almost like having, oh yeah, Sumer, you know, or Mesopotamia or something like that. You know, it's like these, you know assyria like these like ancient places that you know that just disappeared you know but the egyptians are still here you know
0: yeah because yeah they outlasted all those ones it's, pretty, it's just kind of crazy to think of all this kind of stuff you know <laughs> oh yeah big time man yeah um yeah. but yeah uh i'm definitely looking forward to continuing through the the story collection though so like we got we got some more and then we gotta you know when to keep on going with wagner so
1: <laughs> yeah it's a it's a it's an undertaking for sure definitely
0: yeah so hope you guys enjoyed this episode and uh you know we'll we'll be back for this one for darkness Weaves next month as well
1: take care everybody bye